Welcome to Hope Blooms, a podcast from the Early Pregnancy Loss Association. At EPLA, we seek to support women and families suffering early pregnancy loss by providing resources, education, and community. It is our vision that no one suffers miscarriage alone. Welcome back to Hope Blooms. I'm EPLA's Executive Director, Emily Carrington. And I'm EPLA's President, Maria Servold. Today, Emily and I will talk about the miscarriages she has suffered and how those experiences inspired her to create EPLA more than six years ago. Emily and I met when she and her family moved to Hillsdale in 2014. We eventually shared with each other that we'd both suffered miscarriages, and in 2016, she asked me to join a focus group hoping to find a way to serve women and families who had suffered loss. That focus group led to the founding of the EPLA and Emily graciously asked me to join the founding board. She has served as the board's president and now as EPLA's executive director. Since 2016, we've worked together to create an organization that provides physical and emotional support to women suffering miscarriage. Emily, why don't you tell me a little bit about the losses you have suffered? Yes, thanks, Maria. In 2014, I had my first miscarriage, Um, My husband and I were still living in Waco, Texas. We were getting ready. We knew we were coming to Hillsdale. And we um, were very excited. And we were due, it was April of 2014, and we were due in November. And I was about 11 weeks pregnant, and we went to the doctor's appointment and almost 12 weeks pregnant. And our plan was to tell everyone that we were pregnant. We had only told our family so we were going to wait 12 weeks, go to that appointment. Um, I had been had lots of morning sickness and um, had every reason to believe things were going okay. And at that appointment, um, they couldn't discover a heartbeat. Uh, first, they tried the Doppler, and then they did an ultrasound. And then they sent me down to do another ultrasound um, and confirmed that there was no heartbeat. And um, at that time. We were obviously just really um, shocked and confused. Uh, They told us we had had a missed miscarriage and sort of walked through all of our options and then told us we could come back if we had any questions. And we left just really overwhelmed. Um, We moved, we ended up having a uh, DNC a week later, about five days later, Um, This was now May of 2014, and then everything, we just like hit the fast forward button. Um, My husband graduated with his PhD. I did my last day at work. We had a fundraiser at work. There was a whole bunch of parties and celebrations and going away hoopla, Um, and then we moved to Hillsdale. Um, It was, so that was my first loss, and then um, we decided to try again. And things seemed to be going well. And about, it was pretty much the same story. We were in Hillsdale. um, And at about 12 weeks, uh, we couldn't find a heartbeat. Mm -hmm. And I'd had another missed miscarriage. And at that point, uh, that I waited a few weeks and we had a natural miscarriage at home. And then I had a third loss a year later that was um, a very early loss. We, We didn't even know we were pregnant until we were already experiencing the loss. Um, so it was just what I thought was a very strange cycle. 
And the doctor had me take a pregnancy test and we discovered we were indeed pregnant and losing the baby at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, um, between 2014 and 15, we had, we had three separate losses, which is, um, you know, what, what launched us here and mm-hmm. eventually started opening up and talking to more women about mm-hmm. our experience, as you said. Right. Before, before your first loss was miscarriage, something you'd, you know, something you worried about. I think a lot of women don't necessarily think about it, especially, you know, before their first pregnancy as a possibility. Yes. I was, um, particularly and strangely anxious, um, (laughs) in my first loss, uh, which then of course wasn't made better. Um, I knew miscarriage was a thing. Um, I knew my mother had had a miscarriage. Uh, I didn't know a lot about it, but I did know it was a thing. And I, I was anxious, um, and sort of had placed my anxieties in weird places, became kind of obsessed with what I was eating or not eating and was a pregnant woman allowed or not allowed to feel like I could do something. Um, but also at the same time, I had a lot of morning sickness and was sort of telling myself this will and should go forward. We had actually purchased, you know, a little onesie and a little book and we had started to, you know, accept the idea that we were pregnant. And so it was something I knew about. Um, I did not really know about missed miscarriage. Mm-hmm. I definitely thought if I'm not bleeding, I'm pro- everything is okay. Mm-hmm. Do you want to define that just for those who may not know what a missed miscarriage is? Yes, absolutely. That a missed miscarriage is the um, fetal heartbeat stops, but has not yet been expelled from the body. So those are discovered via ultrasound. So the body typically will, you know, miscarry the baby, deliver the the fetus. This is for a loss. Miscarriage, first of all, is any loss pre-20 weeks, um, but is most typically in the first trimester. So in the first 13 weeks would be anything that is a missed miscarriage. Okay. Um, And tell me a little bit about... um maybe the differences between when you had the DNC with the first loss and then the natural miscarriage at home for the second. Yes, those were, they were very different experiences and very different circumstances in life at the time. We, like I said, that May was kind of a crazy May and, and the DNC experience isn't unrelated to that. We decided to move forward with the DNC knowing that we were moving in a few weeks, there's a lot that can be unpredictable about a natural miscarriage. When will it begin? How long will it be? How, what will happen? Hemorrhaging, there are risks associated with natural miscarriage. Um, And there are, of course, risks associated with medical procedures. But we decided, given the month ahead of us and the cross-country move, that we needed to go forward with with the DNC. So it was a very... Again, strange and surreal. I had found out on Monday. We made the decision on Wednesday, and we had the DNC on Friday. Definitely sort of in that place of grief with shock. Um, We were at just a normal surgery center, so there were people having foot surgery. There were people. It wasn't necessarily an OB's office. So that was very strange. The procedure was pretty straightforward and easy, and actually following the procedure, I felt better. I had morning sickness up until the DNC, um, which was something I was 
very angry and frustrated about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I came home and ate a good meal for the first time in a few weeks. So, and there was a sense of relief and knowledge that it was over. Um, and it was, I don't want to say clean cause it wasn't clean, but it was boxed. Um, by Monday, that was Friday by Monday, I was back to work. Mm. Um, there was still physical residual effects and I was kind of surprised. Uh, but looking back, like, yeah, (laughs) a lot had happened to my body in just a course of a week. Um, so that was, that was that experience. And we still took time with the DNC to be sure there was closure. We had a small memorial service at our church, uh, just with close family and our pastors. Um, so we took that time for closure. We created a small box. We took a lot of time. It was a transition period in our life anyway, which made a lot of things difficult, but also we both had that time. Um, we, I took a week off work. We would, you know, take walks by the river and, um, a lot of time for reading and devotion and prayer, which which was good and, and gave us that sense of closure. Uh, with the natural miscarriage, again, it was a very similar experience, so I had felt like I'd been here before, and I kind of dragged my feet on making a decision because I felt, I think I wanted it to go naturally. Um, so I made a decision by not making decisions. <laughs> Um, and, and did that in consultation with my doctor, you know, I, I kept, you know, and he gave me the time and the space. Um, we weren't trying to move across the country. We were settled in Hillsdale. I was not working. Um, I had not looked for jobs because I thought I would be, um, having a newborn when we got here shortly after arriving. Um, so I had that time and space again and sort of just dragged my feet to not make choices. Um, and then, just waited for the mis- miscarriage to start for the natural miscarriage. Um, I was pretty naive into what the process was going to be, even having had a miscarriage in a DNC, realizing that this was really a delivery. I had mm-hmm. not had any live births at the time. And so, you know, I, I passed a first round of clots and thought it was over. Mm-hmm. Um, and really that was the beginning of what would be essentially an eight to 10 hour labor um, with labor pains, contractions. Um, and then even then it took, even after that laboring was over, it took a couple more weeks before we, um, passed the fetus and the sack and we Mm. decided to do, to do testing. Um, so I was really shocked by how, how bloody and Mm -hmm. gruesome and rough that experience was and felt very underprepared. Um, any questions I had asked the doctors did not give me a clear picture. Um, I do not regret that decision. I think it was something at that time that I, I, that it was the, it was what we needed to go through in that situation. I, I think that the natural miscarriage versus the DNC, I think that's different for every family at every time at every risk and situation. I don't think there's one way Mm -hmm. um, to do it. Uh, But for me, we were able, I needed that, that closure. And again, we marked that life 
with a small prayer service and, um, and, you know, then started to try to figure out how to, how to move forward. So the, the two experiences were, were very different, Mm -hmm. um, physically and had their own consequences. Um, and you know, there was, uh, it's not easy for anybody, but I did not experience any additional risks or complications to myself or my own body, which is something some women can experience Mm -hmm. and end up in the ER. Um, so both of mine were relatively safe for me, giving us the space to grieve the great loss that we had. Right. Yeah. And one of the first things that I think we talked about when we were founding this organization was just the fact that many women don't know what's happening, right? Or, or don't know how to handle it. What is a DNC? Can I do this at home? You know, all these questions about the simple logistics of it. And so that's been one of the things we've worked on is that informational piece, right? Getting, you know, data and information out there to people through our kits and our website um, so that women can at least understand what's happening and what their options are, right? Right. Another thing that we have always focused on is trying to help educate medical professionals about, you know, how they might better help women going through a miscarriage. So maybe you can tell me a little bit about some of the medical professionals you worked with um, for those losses and were there some that did things that were helpful, things that were not helpful? Right. And I think that's a great point to make. You know, we are we are parent advocates here and we want to work closely with medical professionals and with women and families and um, try to sort of communicate to both uh, so that, you know, knowledge, knowledge abounds. And in our experience, there was a lot of good, you know, some of the good, the space and the time they gave us. They were very, very considerate. Uh, both, both doctors, you know, were very available, um, come back with any questions. Uh, one doctor had me, like we had his phone number. Um, we could call or text him at any time. And sometimes honestly, texting was much, much easier. It's, intimate and personal. And it was a lot easier to send a text. Um, while I was miscarrying, uh, he, you know, he called my husband and talked him through when risks were. Um, and so have, you know, what to watch out for, how to know I was safe. Um, so having that availability of our doctors was, was very good. The, the one, the one comment that just continues to ring in my head, Um, you know, I was, it was my first pregnancy. I was, I was 27 and not really deep in any sort of mom culture at that point. Um, and I remember asking what, what's going to happen to my baby after a DNC? I was really bothered by like, but where will my baby go? And it was essentially explained to me that it, you know, at that point it would be medical waste. Um, you know, and the distinction between if it would be thrown out with human remains or it, it was just sort of like, we'll just get rid of it for you. Um, and at the time I felt kind of dumb for asking and didn't want to push and grief stricken. Um, so didn't really feel, um, like I was in a position to really push for that. And the more I reflect on that, and the more I realize that there are hospitals that cremate, will collect the medical remains and cremate babies, like even if you weren't going to give this baby back to me, to know that it was going to be treated with dignity mm-hmm. would have helped 
some of the emotional difficulty I had with the DNC was that it all just disappeared. Mm -hmm. And there wasn't a lot of closure. And that early in pregnancy, I hadn't yet felt any quickening. I hadn't felt any kicks, you know. So there was a lot that was very, like, invisible. Mm -hmm. And just... And, and I think there's something too. I, what to do with the body is, is a problem. It's a problem if you're at home. It's a problem if you're in, you know. So I'm going to say that too, that there's people who've had natural miscarriages at home who've had the same struggle. Now either they've collected the body and there's no clear way to get rid of it or to bury it or what to do, mm-hmm. or it's been early and they flushed the mm-hmm. toilet. Um, there are so many women with those stories that suddenly they feel horrified And I don't think that there's necessarily like, again, one right answer for that. But I would have been liked to have been given the dignity that either we take care of it, but we respect it as a body Mm -hmm. um, or, you know, here's your options available. So that was really, really kind of hard for me. Um, And the other thing was the lack of information. When I said, what will a natural miscarriage be like? You know, I said, what will a DNC be like? Obviously, they can give you very straightforward information. When I said, what will a natural miscarriage be like? I was always answered with, it's different for every woman. And that's true. And every woman I've talked to has said they've been answered with that same Hmm. answer. Uh, But, you know, when I had my alive birth in 2017, I sat through an entire class of what it would be like to have a baby. And that's different for every woman. And yet I had a whole day of information to prepare. And my experience with natural miscarriage was it, you know, the, the myth then is that natural miscarriage is just like a heavy period. And my third natural miscarriage was, Um, but that one started before I knew, you know, that one was over before I knew it started. My, my natural miscarriage at 11 and a half weeks was more like my birth at 40 weeks Mm. than it was like a heavy period. Mm. Now there was not the pushing, there was not the transition. Um, there was not that great, great pain, but there was eight to 10 hours of regular contractions and there was a lot of bleeding and there was a lot of, we were very underprepared, um, for what was going to happen. Um, and having never had a baby, I had no concept of what was coming and what was going to happen to my body. And as I've talked to more women, yes, they're all different, but the story, I didn't understand that I was going to have to have you know, pass, even though the fetus was still very small, essentially this was going to be a, you know, shorter labor or a, you know, that, that somehow everything had to come out. Right. Yeah. And that's another thing we have tried to do with our large miscarriage care kits is provide the physical supplies necessary to do, you know, to have a miscarriage at home, including ways to help collect the baby's body and things. So, um, we hope that has helped some women. What do you think then, what about all those experiences really was sort of the catalyst for wanting to start EPLA? In that time that I was not working and had had two miscarriages, it suddenly, I got a bill for like $90 
And I was just, it was like a day I was actually feeling good. And I just wanted, I just wanted it to go away. Like it was, it was very annoying. It was a sunny day. I had plans that day. I was feeling good and it didn't ruin my day. There was nothing about it, that, but it was just one more reminder. And I said to my husband at lunch that day, if I had all the money in the world, I would just pay these bills and they would go away. And like, can I call the hospital and just pay bills for women? And well, I, I don't have all the money in the world. So he said no. <laughs> so, but we started, I started thinking and that thought just sort of hung there. And my experience was, um, I had, I had worked in museums, uh, so that has nothing to do with anything, but I had been working in nonprofit and development and grant writing. And so I started thinking about just the nonprofit paradigm So, and I was sort of in this own personal period of what am I doing now? Uh, So that's where the idea sort of birthed, (laughs) Um, you know, that it just, I kept dwelling on it, kept researching it. And then as you said, we came together for a a focus group. Um, I had some ideas of what I wanted and I had some visions of what I wanted, uh, but we came together for a focus group and really a lot of similar but different stories very you know every loss is individual and unique um and the needs just started to become clear mm-hmm. um and we still have the goal to pay a bill that's something we're working on but the need for education and resources um you know that you mentioned the large care kits to have the materials you know in some ways talking about this feels it's difficult right i'm i'm talking it's a bloody gruesome experience. Um, but we have to give these women the dignity to, you know, that we've, we've ignored her for too long and that has given her no dignity for the sake of privacy. We, we need to help, um, and do that. So just the, the need just kept coming back, um, and sort of the right women and men at the right time in the right place. Um, and then, you know, we just did something. We started with educational folders and then it became clear that we needed to do the miscarriage care kits, you know, just the needs keep, keep coming. And we've stayed focused on that early loss and meeting those needs. Mm -hmm. And that's been just working together with the right people at the right time, seeing needs and being in it. Awesome. Yes. And now we're at the point where we give out more than 500 small kits a year all over the country. And we're happy to one kit at a time, help women going through these losses Thank you so much for sharing your experiences with us today. Thank you so much for, for letting me share. This is, it's important. This mm-hmm. is something we started um, because, you know, it's our vision that no woman goes through this alone. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hope Blooms, a podcast from the Early Pregnancy Loss Association. To learn more about how we and you can support women suffering early pregnancy loss, visit our website at miscarriagecare.com or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you for listening.